Today, on Commitment to Truth. One of the greatest evidence I've seen in a local church is this, is that when someone needs help and then the church surrounds themselves around them and then their family sees the response of compassion from the church. Welcome to Commitment to Truth, the teaching ministry of Commitment Church, a place for all nations. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Each week, Pastor Cedric Brown and the pastoral team at Commitment Church strive to draw you into a deeper relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Today, we begin a series titled, The Evidence. We regularly hear the word blessed being loosely used within the body of Christ. We even witness throughout the world people seemingly with no awareness of the goodness of God. But what does it really mean to be blessed? Or what does it mean to live a blessed life? This sermon series will teach us how to become aware of the evidence of blessing and to safeguard the evidence in order to live a blessed life in Christ. Here is Pastor Cedric, lead pastor of Commitment Church, with today's message. We've been discovering uh, what does it really mean to be blessed. And the challenge we all face is that we define being blessed in many different ways, right? You can win a Grammy and be so far away from Jesus, you can get on stage and say, oh, I'm so blessed to receive this, right? Or you could, you could uh, uh, greet each other every Sunday morning and you hear the term, well, how, you know, someone asks you, how you doing? Your respond is what? I'm blessed, right? But you know, you, you mad at your husband, mad at your wife, your kids spit up on you and you now mad at them questioning, why did I have babies, you know? <laughs> So let's be real, right? So blessed is not necessarily always getting what we want. But what we're learning in the series is actually being blessed is really God giving us what we need, right? To bear fruit of the kingdom so that we can be the evidence to a dying world that Jesus Christ is still alive today and he loves them and he wants them to have a wonderful, beautiful, transformational relationship with him, just like we do. Uh, matter of fact, uh, it's so important to be the evidence that there are some family members that probably will never come to know Jesus apart from seeing the evidence in you and me. And not to mention, there are some enemies who will probably never come to know Jesus. You know, In other words, God will use us as the instrument of the evidence of the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ and we have to be men and women who don't shrink back from that. You know, that we are truly whom God called us to be in a dark, dying world who needs to see more and more evidence of the goodness of Jesus Christ. Listen, no matter what arena you're in, you, you could be a politician today. You know what? Jesus needs to be seen through you. You could be an independent business woman or man. Jesus needs to be seen through you. You follow me? You, you could be a servant, an indigent service to, servant to someone. But at, at, at the end of the day, no matter what your social economic class, race or culture, at the end of the day, we need to be the evidence of the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ, the blessedness and the finished work of Jesus Christ that should be evident in everyone who believes. But we know that's not the case. So therefore, that's why it's our responsibility to dig deeper into the scriptures and, and try to understand what is the evidence of a blessed life in Christ. And that's why we started and we end, uh, we're in, in um, 
Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus, uh, he actually uh, started his public ministry and he began to preach to thousands of people. Um, and I'm always admires, admire this because he did it without a PA system. <laughs> and how frustrating that could be when you don't have that, right? But yet he spoke to thousands of people, right? And, and taught what we have coined the Beatitudes, okay? Uh, and in these 12, or 12 verses or so, uh, Jesus begins to, I believe, outline every other thing that he's going to say for his 30, excuse me, for his three years here on this earth. Our, our three final years on this earth. And, and I believe the, you then see Jesus lay, lay this clear father-son relationship. He, he clearly shows how then should we relate to each other how you relate to your enemies. Listen, how do you even rank mama and daddy now in your life? Sister and brother in your life? How do you deal with the tough things called divorce? You know, Moses gave you a certificate of divorce because of the hardness of your heart. I mean, right? I mean, all these things, he began to read people's mail and, right, and, and push the hot buttons. And it all stemmed from, I believe, these Beatitudes. And if you could turn with me now to Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, we'll read them. But as a summary, as you turn there, we've covered four of them. The first was in verses 1 through 3, was that, again, I mean, most of the time when you're public speaking, you want to kind of draw the people in quickly to trust you, right? Well, what Jesus did, he immediately said, hey, guess what? If you want to have a blessed life, the first place you have to go towards is humility. Thinking less of yourself. That is total counterculture, right? Because everything in our culture today and then in humanity is think everything about yourself. You know, right? But he immediately says, ah, humility is a starting point. Humility is a starting point because for you to even capture all the rest of everything I'm going to tell you for the rest of your life, there has to be this clear and complete reliance on the sovereignty and the power of a living God, not yourself. That no matter how gifted and smart and intelligent and resourceful you are, you'll never be smart enough, resourceful enough, gifted enough, talented enough. Thus, you will fall short of the glory of God. But then he led to, from humility to, guess what? You know, blessed are those who mourn. In other words, those to get to a place of humility, you must die. And that word mourn meant this, the, the mourning of the grief of, of a loss of a friend. The grief of a loss of a friend. And no greater friend that we have than ourselves. But then there are times you must lose friends and mourn their loss. And I personally believe that's healthy to do. There's nothing wrong with saying, I miss my friend that I can't be around anymore because they don't make me more like Jesus. I miss my favorite uncle because guess what? All he does is pull me back in and make me act like a sinner. It's okay to say, well, I miss him. That hurts because he knows it hurts. But at the end of the day, if you're missing people, missing yourself, uh, there is that period of mourning and of loss that I can't 
Listen, if you want to be blessed ultimately, if you want the spirit of God to be evident in your life, you want, and we're going to learn this closeness to God, one must die. He said a seed must go into the ground first to, and die before it does what? Live. A man who loses his life finds it. A man who finds his life, in other words, I'm in control of my life, I'm doing life how I want to do life, loses it. And the kingdom is always like reversed. The greatest in the kingdom is a what? Servant of all. So there's always this responsibility of dying to self, dying to what I want to do so that I can make sure I'm doing what he wants me to do, which ultimately will always pan out better and right for me and those around me. So there's this need to, need to grieve and die and mourn the loss of self, loss of those around you. But then uh, verse 5, we begin to talk about this mourning or this dying leads to this gentle spirit or this this quiet spirit, this resting in God's faithfulness. In other words, no matter what people are doing to me, saying about me, I'm good because God always has my back. So therefore, it doesn't cause me to act out of character. I'm in control. Self-control. I'm not going to weird out because someone's weirding out on me. It's because I know that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay not me to fight against man, but it's, it's, my, it's not my responsibility to fight with man, but it's my responsibility, Romans 12, is to what? So far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. And let God do the hard work and the heavy lifting. Keeps you gentle. Keeps you approachable. It keeps people, it, it almost likes, keeps us in a place that people can always turn out okay. No matter how that relationship starts, it doesn't have to end there. Because what Jesus did in me, he can also do in them. Thank you for joining us for today's message from Commitment to Truth. We'll continue with the second part of the message right after this. Influencing your world. Have you ever wondered why you were born where you were born? Why this family? Why this particular community? Why this part of the world? Why do I have these friends? Why this school at this time? Why this church? It's simple. God, through His sovereign wisdom, He knows precisely what you need to fulfill His purposes in you for His glory. You can purchase this book and others by Cedric Brown at cedricbrown.com. Thank you again for joining us for today's message from Commitment to Truth. We now return for the second half of our message. This gentleness we then led to uh, the, we called it, the evidence was in our pursuits, hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Ultimately, our pursuits will somehow become our identity. Right, it's kind of like this, Mom. If your pursuit is making sure your children turn out perfect, <laughs> and they never do, right? And when they get older, they break your heart. And then you realize how much of your identity is wrapped up in them. 
as a husband. You know, if my identity is found in my wife and my wife and my wife, and then my wife doesn't respect me as I feel she needs to respect me. Ah, guess what? I'm going to have a letdown. It's going to prove that my ultimate goal in life was pursuing to please my wife. Happens in jobs, right? Right? You know, we get so caught up in our professions, and then we get fired. And then we like, oh, what am I going to do? I can't believe it. That's all I did for the rest of my life. You, you call to be, you know, have early retirement or something like that. Right? And it's like, I can't believe it. You know, they're just kicking me out. Oh, because your identity became that. Then Jesus moved on to a fifth description of what a blessed life looks like. And I just want to back up to kind of read um, all of them and then land on uh, this, the fifth of our evidences, if you would, of a blessed life. In verse 2 it says, He opened his mouth, this is Jesus, and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We're in good company. So number five, it's found in verse seven. The evidence can be found in our compassion. It says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The word mercy or merciful here means this, to help one afflicted or seeking aid. Key word, to help, help, help. Not just, oh, I just feel bad for you. That's just so sad. No, to help one who is afflicted and one who are seeking aid. So in other words, someone you clearly know that something is going on in their life and they're being afflicted emotionally, physically, spiritually, etc. Am I willing to help step on help? If I see someone who is seeking aid and you know that you know that you know that you know that you know they need help and you choose not to help. That's the tension, is that we always have this choice that, well, I see it happening, I hear about it happening, what am I going to do about it? The evidence. One of the greatest evidence I've seen in a local church is this, is that when someone needs help, and then the church surrounds themselves around them, and then their family sees the response of compassion from the church, I can't tell you how many people came to know Jesus because of that. Or you just yourself are showing compassion to someone and then God opens up the door 
to the evidence of the gospel of Jesus Christ in some creative way. That you're just serving and you're just minding your own business and God somehow, the residue of your compassion just rubs off in the environment. That people began to see the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the transparent, real-time compassion of Jesus through you and I. Just because you responded to what you saw, what you heard, and what you knew was going on. But truth be told, how many followers of Jesus Christ just like, oh, I know that's happening. And just keep on stepping. But if it's a close friend, right, that's when we'll get involved. I humbly believe this, this form of compassion is, it's, it's kind of like, you know, I would not normally do this because I don't know that person. You know, it's not like your best bud in church. Your best bud, you'd be like, okay, I'm there, sis. I'm there. Whatever you need. But let it be one of the sisters that you don't kind of know or you don't kind of click with and et cetera. Be like slow on the draw, right? Be like, oh, well, man, let me pray and fast about that. See if God is telling me to, to go or not go. You know, it's like, no. You see the need. You know there's a need. You go. If it's friend, if it's foe, you go. It doesn't matter. Think about it, church. Think about, let this resonate a little bit. What if Jesus said to Cedric, oh, you know, uh, you're my enemy right now, Cedric. You know, you're denying me. You're living totally contrary to me. Nah, no compassion for you today, buddy. Let's be real. I mean, you follow me. And we're going to, what we dig deeper in this, you're going to see that that's the truth in it all. It's like, wait a minute. How can we not be, be compassionate? And he has been so compassionate to us. And that's the tension. That's when we begin to not be the evidence. Because it's like, what? why can you not be acting like Jesus right now? And Jesus was that and all that and more for you. And it's almost like it stifles, it's almost like it grieves the Holy Spirit and almost like puts a veil on your, on, on your life. You see, among emotion researchers, this is what compassion literally means. These are emotional, I guess, people who just like spend days and hours figuring out people's emotions. They define compassion this way, to suffer together. It is defined as the feeling that arises when you are confronted with another suffering and feel motivated to relieve that suffering. I'm going to do something about this. Therefore, compassion then must be our willingness and our eagerness to help people. Got to be willing. Got to be eager to go help somebody. And can you imagine if we as a church says, you know, we're just going to go on a compassion uh, journey for the month of September. Can you imagine the impact it will have in this community, in your families, in the world? 
then I'm not just going to look. I'm, I'm going to step into it. And I'm going to do whatever I need to do to show the compassion of Jesus. So here's a few ways that compassion uh, should be displayed based on some other scripture. There should be compassion for the needy. Listen to what 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18 says. We know love by this, and he laid down his life for us. He laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. But whoever has worldly goods and sees his brother or sister in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God remain in him? Little children, let's not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. See a person struggling, but it's like, nah, you know, let me pray for you. Go and be filled and take care of you. Book of James talks about. I have the resources and I'm not stepping in to help. Compassion should also be for the disobedient. Yes, the disobedient. <laughs> and we all fit that category, believe it or not. But, but let's say today that you haven't disobeyed God in the last year. <laughs> what, what then should you do for those who are disobedient to God? Or maybe you can apply this even. One interpretation, many applications. Maybe the application could be also in parenting. Just saying. Because last time I checked, I was a little bit rebellious. I heard I was so rebellious that when I couldn't even walk, I was crawling out of the, my crib, getting my siblings in trouble, thinking that they took me out of the crib. My, my, my older sisters were getting spankings. Like, Don't you take that boy out of the crib. What are you doing? They're like, Mommy, we're not taking him out of the crib. Yes, you are taking him out of the crib. Then one day, my, my mother walks by the room. I'm climbing out of the baby bed. Baby bed. Couldn't even walk yet. So... My spirit of rebelliousness was way back then. Hello, my name is Sarah Vega, and I am the Administrative and Executive Director here at Commitment Church. I hope you've enjoyed today's message by Pastor Cedric Brown. If you didn't know, Pastor Cedric also sends out encouraging videos weekly. We call these the Weekly Wire. We can send these encouraging videos directly to you by subscribing at www.loveallnations.org. Here's an example of the encouragement you'll receive. Today, more than ever, the world in which we live in need to see Jesus. It's like Peter and John when they were being persecuted for their faith as they were uh, preaching the gospel in the first century church, that the onlookers were simply saying this, that they are uneducated, unlearned guys, but there's something peculiar about them, and it is they have been with Jesus. Today, as people look at you, as this world looks at you, as society looks at you from the outside in, looks at us, followers of Jesus Christ from the outside in, can they see Jesus? In other words, can they distinctively tell that we have been with Jesus? Listen, I challenge you today, church, is to become a person. We must become a people that don't have to say that we have been with Jesus, that people can ultimately look at us and say, wow, that man, that woman, that boy, that girl has been with Jesus. We hope you enjoyed the sample of our Weekly Wire. 
Again, to subscribe to your weekly inspiration, refreshment, and encouragement, please visit www.loveallnations.org. Thank you again for listening to our series, The Evidence, from Commitment to Truth, the teaching ministry of Commitment Church, a place for all nations. Through this series, we hope you are encouraged and aware of how to live a blessed life in Christ. If you want to listen to the previous messages in this series, or if you want to hear messages from other series, visit Commitment Church on YouTube or Pastor Cedric Brown on Spotify, Pandora, or other podcast providers. You can also visit us on our website, commitmentchurch.org. And if you live in the Philadelphia, Delaware, or South Jersey area, we would love to see you in person as well. You can attend any of our services by visiting us at 2 Berlin Road South, Lindenwald, New Jersey, 08021. Thank you again for listening, and have a blessed and wonderful day.